Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for joining me on the How To Money podcast today. Hey, thanks, Kate. Thanks for having me along. Yeah, and it's great to have you back. We um, had you on the show a little bit earlier this year, but you've got some exciting news this time that you've got a book coming out very soon, which I was lucky to be an early reader of, which was pretty exciting. Yes, I'm very appreciative. Yeah, I'm very excited to get the, the financial autonomy book out. And uh, yes, yours is one of the, the testimonial quotes. And in fact, you're even on the back cover, Kate. So you're a, you're a, an extra special, uh, important person. Mm, I felt that was pretty exciting because my favourite store in the entire world is Dimmix, and to know that my name will be in Dimmix was <laughs> a pretty exciting moment. That's a pretty, pretty pretty nerdy moment. Pretty cool, huh? No, well done. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, so, um, if, just if someone hasn't listened to our previous episode, you'd be able to do a little bit of a quick intro into yourself, um, your business, and the financial autonomy podcast. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so I host, Paul Benson's my name, and I host the Financial Autonomy podcast, and I'm also a financial planner. Uh, I have a, a financial planning practice in Melbourne. And I guess the theme of the Financial Autonomy podcast, and, and it's carried on through the book, uh, is around gaining choice. So thinking around the fact that I guess a lot of you know personal finance content is focused on how can we make you rich and investing in shares, investing in property, these sort of things, and mm. uh, all of which are, are relevant and which we, we definitely touch on. Uh, but I guess having a, a central point of what I've observed through through working with clients for, for 20 years now, helping them achieve their financial goals, is that really what people want is to get in a position where they've got choice, whether that's choice around when they retire or choice around cutting back how much they're working when they've got young children, choice around maybe moving to self-employment or a career change. As I say, having worked with people for a long time, I've observed that that is really what people are seeking and, and not so much uh, the millions of dollars and the, and the Ferrari and some of these things that you, that you see sometimes presented. So um, so that's what we focus on, on uh, with financial autonomy. And, and as I say, that's what we explore in the book. Mm. And I think it's quite a different take on things because, as you said, so many of the personal finance books are just do X, Y, Z and you'll get your results, but they don't really focus on that element of choice and I think and having more options in your life. And I think that really is sort of the essence of most personal finance goals. Like whether we think about it or not, we are pursuing these goals to give ourselves more choice uh, in our own lives. Um, and is that the kind of the path you took with the book, just focusing on what is what is the underlying sort of reason for our financial goals? Yeah, that, that's right, Kate. And as you know, and I think we, we perhaps we'll get into it a little bit later, but we identified three particular pathways to help you get there. But I guess part of that, and there's some other elements around cash flow and these sort of things, through the book, we've got some, some self-assessment tools. And they come about because an observation, I guess, from other books and things that you see is that it's often presented as there's just one right way that this is the way you should do it. It's the only way. And if you're not doing it this particular way, then you need need your head read. And 
again, just having worked with a lot of people over a lot of years, my observation is that people achieve their financial goals and, and, and choice is the way I like to view it. There's all sorts of different ways that they get there. You know, some people achieve it through through being self-employed and starting a business, but there are plenty of other people that achieve it through through their career and, and succeeding that way or through investing, whether it be in shares or property. There's all sorts of different ways to to achieve financial security and, and well-being and and also obviously different people's objectives and goals are different as too. So something that I guess I hope is a bit different about this book is that it's not presenting this is the way you must do it. There is no other way. You know, in the cash flow section, we've got six different cash flow strategies. So we've got a, a self-assessment tool to help you identify which one's most likely to suit you. And then here's six different options and find the one that's going to suit you. Because for instance, things like managing cash flow, what works for an engineer type that loves their spreadsheets is not at all going to work typically for perhaps a, a graphic designer or someone a bit more creative. So trying to sort of present a single solution, I, I think is well, it just, just doesn't work. And, and and having worked with a lot of people over a lot of years, I, I can attest to the fact that it just doesn't work. So um, yeah, that's sort of a key element that I hope is quite different about the way we've gone about things and, and what we cover in the book. Mm, absolutely. And how, if you are going about this path, how do you start to question the normal, I guess, the society's prescribed path of success? And how do we start building our own framework for our own sort of personal finance journey and working out what choices we want to be able to achieve and how to build out our own, I guess, financial goals. Yeah, yeah great question. And you touched on it there at the end. It's about your goals, isn't it? Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, your objectives, you know. So yeah. really reflecting on what it is that that you want five years, 10 years, 20 years from now. And and if you're in a relationship, talking about your partner with it. It's amazing how many people I sit down with and a husband and wife, you know, have never actually had that discussion. So thinking about those longer term goals and they don't have to be set in stone you know things are going to change over time but at least having a broad plan and a broad sense of it and then you can sort of work back well all right if my goal is to do some travel or something like that have some flexibility you know live overseas let's say as a, as a, a goal that that's something that my wife and I've got in mind then you might work back and think about well all right in, in order for that to happen uh, we need to have perhaps low or no debt. Uh, it's perhaps easier to achieve if we're self-employed because we're not constrained to, to four weeks of annual leave and, and working where the boss tells us we need to work. Um, so, so you know, if you can get clarity on your goals or your objectives, then you can sort of work back as to, well, all right, how can we get there? So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's the key starting point. Mm, and I think that's something we often forget that we can actually change our goal along the way. And that is quite common and that's okay. And um, we don't have to just achieve X because that's what we decided five years ago. Spot on. Yeah, super common. If clients I work with, you know, we catch up once a year and do a full review and I would say three out of four, we do some sort of variation to what the goals are each year. Uh, so you, you're dead right, Kate. Yeah. So you talk about them in the book, but you identify the three common pathways to financial autonomy. So are you able to elaborate on those a bit more? Yeah, thank you. And this is another area where I hope that the financial autonomy book is a bit different to most because uh, most of the books will will have a focus on shares, for instance, or on property. Mm. Um, whereas, again, just just through my experience of of helping different people, 
people can can achieve their goals in different ways. And so what I've observed is that usually they're either using investing in shares, they're investing in property, or they're achieving their goals through self-employment, uh, perhaps side hustle, something along those lines. And very often, it's a combination of those. Uh, sometimes it's all three even. So for instance, it could be that someone starts off their journey investing in shares and they build up a share portfolio and then they sell that share portfolio in order to give them a deposit to buy their first home, for instance. And then they pay down their home and, and perhaps get a bit of capital growth with any luck so that they've got some equity in their home. And then through that equity, they might use that to perhaps invest back in shares or buy an investment property or maybe even start a business. So we have these three pathways. And again, within the book, we have a self-assessment tool to help identify which pathways may be the best one for you to focus on right now. But as I say, a recognition that um, that you're likely to combine two and, and, and potentially even all three. Obviously, not everyone will pursue the self-employment path. That, that's not going to appeal to a lot of people or, or suit the, the nature of their work, but it needs to be on the table. And, and perhaps that's one that maybe doesn't get enough consideration in, you know, from other areas. Mm. And do you think the reason we pursue one pathway over another is because of the way we were brought up? Because I know a lot of people just, their whole goal is to buy one property because that's all they know. Um, and that's that's sort of their families telling them you've got to buy a property, their friends, society, and they don't even sort of even think to explore maybe shares or starting a business. Yeah, yeah, it's a fair call. I'm, I'm sure that would be the case, isn't it? I mean, we're, hmm. we're you don't know what you don't know. And, and, and so if, if you're exposed growing up to look, for instance, property investment is that's the way, that's the thing you should do, then you're going to naturally gravitate to that, aren't you? But but I guess hopefully people listening to the likes of, of the How to Money podcast and, and, and interested in, in books on finance and things, it sort of suggests that they're open to, to fresh ideas. So yeah, hopefully this is an opportunity for people to consider that, look, there are other pathways. And in fact, you're not doing anything wrong if you combine those pathways. I think sometimes people have it in their head that if they're a property investor and they start buying some shares that somehow they're betraying the property investor family <laughs> or something, you know, that, that you, oh, you, can't, yeah. you can't cross, but you totally can. So, um, yeah, hopefully that's a, a myth that we can dispel. Mm-hmm. And I think even just sort of combining direct investing in shares and property and maybe self-employment can, be, can even lead to better results for you than if you just stuck to one single path. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, things move in different cycles and property lends itself to to lending or, or borrowing, I guess, more accurately, uh, whereas shares, you don't necessarily have to do that. They each have their own strengths and weaknesses. So, yeah, definitely combining makes a hell of a lot of sense. Mm. Now, what I really wanted to dive into deeper with you today, because I thought this was the quite a unique aspect of the book, was the idea of building a business and or becoming self-employed as a way to reach financial autonomy, financial independence, financial freedom, whatever terminology someone wants mm. to use. Because I think most things we read, um, they just talk about investing in index funds. I mean, there's been a proliferation of personal finance books come out in the last few years and they've just been kind of like, chuck your money in an ETF and um, move on with your life. And that's kind of that one-stop solution. And I think ETFs are a great product, but it's kind of we've become sort of single-minded to that's the only financial solution. So I thought it was really cool that you actually explored and included a lot of case studies on building business and you've done it yourself. So 
yeah, that's why I wanted to have a chat further about that. And why should people consider this path as opposed to the other two? Yeah, thanks, Kate. And thanks for picking up on that. And I guess hopefully this is where, like I'm not proposing these ideas as a thought bubble or here's my theory. Mm. I've come to these because I've observed a lot of people over the years and I've seen how it is that they've achieved uh, the life and, and and achieve the goals that they want. And so when I reflected on the clients that I've worked with and who has achieved choice and and I guess happiness, you know, that's what we're all trying to achieve, you know, as a financial planner, exactly as, as you said, the natural inclination, oh, well, did they invest in shares or did they invest in property? You know, it's got to be something that they invested in. But what I recognized when I, I looked at the people that I worked with is that for very many of them, the way they achieved it is that they, they started a business or they were self-employed. So it, it could just be that they're a one-person contractor, but they've achieved uh, achieve the choice that they're after, achieve the happiness, because by being that one-person contractor, they had the flexibility to perhaps work mm. where they want and, and not have to do the commute, which is something we're all getting a bit familiar with during this COVID period. <laughs> but, you know, they've got the flexibility, I guess, to, to focus in on the thing that they really enjoy and that they're passionate about and maybe not have the pressure of someone else making their life difficult as a manager or these sort of things. So, yeah, as I say, it, it's come about through that observation that and as you mentioned within the book you know I've got multiple case studies of people who have done that and and indeed that's been my journey as well so um, it's one that yeah I hope does just set the book apart a little bit from the norm so thank you for for picking that up yeah absolutely so the some of the ideas about self-employment so there's I guess I've sort of broken it into three terms I'm not sure if there's more but you've kind of got your side hustle which is I guess starting out maybe while you're studying or you're working full-time then you've got self-employment um, where you might just be quite happy to do your job but just as a sole trader or a contractor and then you've got kind of that third category of starting a business. Would that be how you kind of categorise the three? Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it and and they could evolve. So the central idea of a side hustle is that it's a low-risk entrepreneurial experiment, right? Mm-hmm. So you might have a go at a side hustle and you might decide, this is good fun. I want this to become my full-time job, in which case then you migrate from a side hustle to being self-employed. But equally, you could do a side hustle and decide, yeah, I still like my nine to five Monday to Friday job, but I'll just do this on the weekend or of an evening, you know, an Etsy store or something like that perhaps. Uh, and then of course, there's plenty of side hustles as as is the case with all entrepreneurial pursuits, but there's plenty of side hustles that don't really work or actually you do them for a few months and you hate it, right? So, mm. so that's why the idea of a side hustle is that it's a low risk way to do it. I heard a really good example uh, from someone that, that I interviewed for the podcast just recently who was interested in getting into photography and, and she had a totally different career previously and she had some kids and her previous career didn't just didn't work for the family. So she was, right, what am I going to do next? And decided that she explored different things, but anyway, arrived at photography as perhaps the way to go. And so the way she did the side hustle, the, the entrepreneurial experiment, is that she got on to, I'm just trying to think of the platform now, it wasn't Fiverr, but uh, Airtasker it was. She got mm-hmm. onto Airtasker for people that were looking for headshots or some sort of photography job. And of course, you know, the rate of pay was ridiculous, right? Because <laughs> everyone on those kind of platforms want things done for nothing, right? So the rate of pay was ridiculous for, for the amount of work she had to do. But that wasn't really the point. What she wanted to do was just establish, well, all right, can I do this? 
will people actually pay me real dollars to do this? Like not just my friends and, and my mum, but will someone mm. actually pay me? And so, you know, she was able to run with that and get an understanding of, okay, here are the sort of things that people in the real world want you know, perhaps it's headshots for LinkedIn or whatever, you know, by getting out there and, and doing it, she learns what they want. She learns, right, who's actually prepared to maybe pay a somewhat reasonable fee versus who's just tight and miserable and there's no point me <laughs> focusing on trying to pick up those type of customers. Yeah. You know, she learned a ton and just, does she enjoy it? Does she enjoy getting out there and taking photos of people, right? And today, I mean, she's a full-time photographer. So that's an example of a success, but it was a great illustration of how you could use a side hustle to just test things out, see if it works, see if you like it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I've probably gone on a bit long on that. Sorry, Kate, but, <laughs> but anyway, that's how they fit together, I suppose. Yeah, I actually recommended to someone the other day, they wanted to sort of think about what they could do as a side hustle. And I said, just go on to Airtasker and Fiverr and see what people are actually willing to pay for. What do people want? Just as a bit of business sort of exploration before you go and do anything drastic like quit your day job. Yeah, just doing a bit of market research and the sort of the demands there, but you just got to work out do your skill set sort of fill in that demand or is there potentially a different direction you could go? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, part of it too is it's sort of validating your idea, isn't it? It's, you know, you might have a perception that what I want to do is make something at a lo- for a local market or something or other, you know, mm. well, you want to test, you know, do people actually want that? Do they like the colours that I'm thinking about? Do they? This is the sort of thing that you can uh, that you can get into through a side hustle. Um, probably the other thing, just to touch on too, your point earlier, which was good around side hustle, self employment, starting a business. Sometimes there's a, a progression there, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. But the, the self employment, the, uh, the sort of one person contractor type role. It'll be interesting to see and, and interested in your thoughts whether as a consequence of this COVID period and, and a lot of white-collar type office workers working from home, I wonder if employers might move more towards contractors because if, if employers decide, well, gee, actually, we're getting everything done here and we don't need to spend $50,000 a year on office rent why don't we just have the team at home and we catch up for a team meeting once a month or, you know, I'm sure there's lots of different ways that you could skin it. But if it gets to the point where the staff are working from home, I would think that employers would then start to think about, well, hang on a minute, how does occupational health and safety work here? And I can't really manage them anyway. And I don't really know when they start and when they finish. And if all that's the case, why have them as an employee? Why not have them as a contractor? So, I'm just kind of throwing that out there. And as I say, interested in your thoughts, but I just kind of speculate that that self-employment contractor type market, obviously not for all jobs, but I think there might be, there could be quite a bit of growth in that area in the years to come. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think a lot of work will become more project-based. So like a workplace might not need someone that specializes in SEO to work for them full-time. They might just need them for a project. So I think there might be more marketplaces emerging where you can find and review sort of qualified, maybe a bit more established than sort of Airtasker for a specific niche. Like I want to get an engineer to work on this project or I want a marketing person to work on this project. Um, and I think I like this is solely my unqualified opinion, but I think we're going to have to need to sell ourselves more 
and self-promote more as a sort of individual in the future. Because if we're trying to get employment and jobs, we've got to sort of set up a personal brand and a portfolio and be able to demonstrate our skills in our work rather than just relying on that old-fashioned resume. Yeah. Gee, and that'll that'll be a challenge for a lot, won't it? But it, but mm-hmm. potentially is also very exciting. I mean, you're going to be able to really narrow in on the areas that you enjoy doing the most. I mean, inevitably mm-hmm. there'll be some things that you don't enjoy doing, like issuing invoices and bookkeeping, and yeah, you know, some things there's just no way around it. But it does present some interesting opportunities and, and, and also challenges. I mean, if, if you move down that model, then you're going to have to proactively ensure that your skills remain up to date and do training and some of these sort of things that perhaps in the past your employer would have taken care of. And even, I guess, things like superannuation, uh, perhaps you've got to make arrangements for that yourself. And yeah, it'll be it'll be quite different. But um, so it's just something I've just been reflecting on recently. And I, yeah. There's definitely more to think about if you're sort of a one-person business and you have to deal with tax and super and um, yeah, career progression all yourself. You kind of got to you got to just keep on top of everything, don't you? So the other nice element, though, if if you can get to a position where perhaps you're a self-employed contractor and you've got half a dozen people that you work for, is that from a resiliency point of view, you're in much better shape because you're not going to one day come in and be made redundant or, or have a a boss or someone that comes in and for whatever reason you don't gel and next thing you know you're out the door. Uh, if you've got, so long as you don't have just one client, then you're still at risk. But if you've got multiple people that you work for, at least you, yeah, you're a lot more resilient. You, you've taken a lot of risk out of the, the equation. Mm, and I think that's that's something else I've been thinking about a lot recently is that diversification in your um, maybe a skill set in your career rather than just thinking about diversification in terms of finances because I guess the industry is changing so quickly and you need to be able to cover multiple fields and um, yeah have a wider range of a skill set so you can sort of jump around if you need to. If your job suddenly disappears, which we've seen a lot of jobs actually disappear this year, um, how can you use that skill set and sort of do something different with it? Yeah, that's an awesome thought. And look, it's not something I, I cover off in the Financial Autonomy book, but investing in your career or investing in your skills and your employability and usefulness is probably something that we don't think about enough either. You know, we're talking about being too narrow in our focus about what an investment is, shares and property in particular. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, thinking about investing in your skills and your ability to earn an income it probably has a pretty big payoff, you know, and it's something that we at times on the podcast explore a little bit, but probably room to do more there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I kind of think about my career as like a mini business and that sort of helps when I'm trying to go, well, am I happy to invest this money in this course or this program to learn more skills and develop? Because otherwise you can easily go, oh, this is just something I can learn on YouTube when you might actually benefit from actually spending a little bit of time and money developing yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's, no, fantastic thoughts. I think, yeah, mm. I, I just, I, I think it's going to be challenging for young people, especially as that traditional grad model and internships sort of start to change. And I think young people have just got to be really on top of what's going on and just put themselves out there and try something new and um, just try and sort of think a little bit differently as we go into sort of the next couple of decades of work. But this is very holistic thinking here. Probably getting yeah, yeah, but you. But yeah, right at the coalface there. So I think that's really valid observations, yeah. Mm. And what about jumping into starting a business? That's that's quite a different path to just being self-employed or doing a side hustle. 
what sort of things should someone think about if they want to pursue that path before they just dive right into the deep end? Yeah, so I guess the distinction there is that now you're moving into having employees and you've hopefully got something that has a saleable value at the end, which of course is pretty attractive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, effectively a form of, of superannuation perhaps. Yeah. So that's what we're getting to with starting a business. It also means that you can take a holiday and you don't need to check the emails or, or see if there's been any messages left on your phone. So it's it's moving from the, the one-person operation to having a team. And of course, there's different ways you can do that. And again, you can contractors and bits and pieces to, to sort of help make that happen. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the idea of a business, that there's an asset there that could one day be sold. In terms of how you go about that, so it could just be a natural migration. You start off as a one-person business and you grow from there. It could be that the nature of the the operation that you're doing right from day one requires multiple people. So for instance, a, a retail shop or something like that, if you're going to be open mm-hmm. six days a week and extended hours and these sort of things, you, you, you can't do that as, as a single person probably. So you're going to need need staff there to begin with. Um, and even, I don't know, perhaps some sort of business where you need just a variety of skills. Um, oh, I can't think of any particular example, but you could imagine plenty of businesses where in order for it to happen, they need someone that can do this programming or IT type skills and then you need a marketing person and you need a financial person and these sort of things. So so the business is that that bigger proposition and it's certainly an attractive place if you can get there because as I say, for one, at the end there's an asset there, a value there that you can recoup when mm-hmm. you finish up. Whereas as a, a single person contractor or something, when you decide you've had enough, well well then that's just it. It is also, of course, nice to be able to take a holiday and <laughs> not have to think about work for a little while. So it's good if you can get there. It's just a matter of, of whether that fits your skill set and it fits what you want to do. I mean there are extra pressures in in having staff, managing staff, in making sure that there's enough money in the bank account every fortnight to pay their wages, there's obviously management skills and those type of things required too. So it's not going to be the way that everyone's going to go. And, and I've certainly come across people who have grown, put on a few staff and then determined that actually it's far too many headaches and they've just gone back to being a one-person operation again. So that happens quite a bit. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Probably the other thing to think about if, if you want to start a business too is the, the possibility of buying a business. It's something that we don't think about a lot, but you know there are businesses out there, and of course we all know that the baby boomers are, are heading into their retirement phase, and so there are plenty of business owners within the baby boomer cohort, and if they're going to exit, they need to find someone to buy their business off them, and uh, it's an area that if you're that way inclined is, is, is worth checking out because often the cost for these businesses is, is often not a lot. It might just be one times earnings, something like that, and if you can come in with an existing customer base, with existing revenue, you take over and from day one you have some sales uh, and then you get in and then you make it your own. You, you do the new website and you rebrand it and do whatever else you want to do to, to make it yours and, and make the improvements. Uh, but at least you've got a an engine of a business that's already ticking over and that's giving you cash flow from day one. So that's, that's probably just another avenue that people might want to give some thought to if if starting a business holds appeal to them. Mm, and then a lot of the groundwork's already done for you um, and you don't have to put as much time and money into getting it off the ground. Correct. I mean, that's it. that is an interesting trade-off because the argument against buying a business is, oh, well, I've got to come up with this lump of money to pay the previous owner. Mm. But the flip side to that is if you start from zero, 
well, then chances are you've got no revenue for the first six months or 12 months. And, and then even when you start getting revenue, it's still going to be a lot less than perhaps what you used to be earning when you're an employee or doing whatever you're doing previously. So there's a cost in starting from zero. It's just spread out over two years or however long it takes you to get the revenue up to a point that, that's in line with what you used to earn versus you could buy a business and the income's there from from day one. You know, you've got to come up with that initial investment, but whether you borrow it or you have access to it somehow or other, in some cases, even you can do some vendor finance, which is where the person selling it effectively loans you the money so that rather than you giving them the whole lot of money up front, uh, you perhaps give them, say, 50% up front and then the balance you pay them out each month for the next three years or something like that. So uh, there are ways that you can, can make it happen that works for all parties, you know? Hmm. Yeah, it's certainly a different different angle to think about. And, and another thing that you had in the book that I thought was really cool, and I thought it'd be great if you elaborated on these points, but you had um, a one-page business plan with about five different points that you should be able to sort of articulate before starting a business. Are you able to sort of cover those in a little bit of detail for us? Yeah, for sure. So I guess typically when we think about a business plan, you might think it's it's going to be this really dry document that's 50 pages or more long and sort of question, well, who's ever going to read it? Mm. And, and I just think a document like that is completely pointless and of no value because yeah. you're going to spend a whole lot of hours creating this business plan, hours that you could have spent doing something more productive, and then you're never going to look at it anyway. So what's far more useful is to have a, a simple one-page business plan. And yeah, we, we touch on it in the book. And within the book, there's a, a link to a free workbook. And that's actually got it as a, as a single one-page template. And part of the thinking there is so that it's flexible because it is just one page. You can have a go at, at your business idea or your side hustle. And then as you learn what customers actually want, well, then you can just go back and print off another one page and then do it again. And and you don't feel, oh, no, I've got to do a whole another 50 page. You know, you're never going to do it, right? But if you if it's one page, you can make changes. So that's that's the thinking there, that it's a, a living document that just helps you have clarity on your strategy and what you're trying to do, but allows you to adapt as you as you learn. So the the there's five uh, elements to the one page business plan so the first is what problem will your business solve and for whom because that's got to be at the center if you're not solving a problem for somebody then you don't have the makings of a viable business so first and foremost be clear on that what problem do you solve and for whom then next how will people learn about what you're offering so this is effectively the marketing piece and separately we do have a, a one page marketing plan I don't think it's through the book, but certainly through the website. But this is an area that I find often people ignore. They get really passionate about their idea and, and they love it and they've asked their best friend and their mum and their sister and they've all said it sounds fantastic. And so therefore, the assumption is, well, well once the world hears about this, I mean, they're going to be beating down my door. And of <laughs> course, the reality is that the world has to hear about it for that to be any sort of possibility and the world is not likely to be Googling looking for your particular solution and even if they did, you're probably on page 2017 and therefore they're never going to find it anyway. So mm. having some very early on being really clear as to, right, how are people going to learn that my business exists, that my solution exists? Because it could be the best solution in the world but if no one knows it exists, then it's irrelevant, right? So being clear on that really early on is going to save you a whole lot of heartache. 
then the third step is around the dollars. So uh, gaining clarity on what it's going to cost to deliver your product or service so that you don't get your pricing wrong. What we don't want is to get out there and sort of sell whatever product and you go, oh, yeah, well, I'll price it at 20 bucks because, I don't know, that seems about reasonable. And then you get a whole lot of orders and you discover that it costs you $30 to make, right? So understanding the dollars is pretty crucial, making sure that your pricing makes sense. Step four is around what success looks like. So trying to really drill that in, really quantify it. Because if you start a business and you've worked out your marketing strategy and these sort of things, and you maybe you kick some goals and you get $2,000 of sales in the, in the first month, well, is that good or is that you know, not enough to pay the rent. I mean, you've got to have a bit of clarity on what you're trying to do, even from the perspective of how many hours work do you want to be putting into this? If the business is kicking along really nicely, but you've got to work 20 hours a day, seven days a week, well, that's not most people's definition of success, right? So so being clear on that, I think, is really crucial. And then the fifth and final step is to just drill down onto to three really critical things that you think need to occur for you to go ahead and, and, and for this business to be successful. So a, a common problem that I see with people broadly in terms of achieving financial goals and objectives is a sense of overwhelm because there's so much, oh, I could do this, or should I be changing my super, what about insurance, what, you know, business, should I be doing this, should I be starting my website, should I be doing Google AdWords, no, no, I should be doing Facebook ads or hang on, what about if I do this other thing over here? And there's so many potential things that the inclination is to just go, I'll do nothing. <laughs> and that's what we want to avoid. So the fifth step is, look, just pick three things, three things that you think are most likely to, to have an impact or are most essential for you to be able to move forward and focus in on those three things. Get those things done and then have, a, have another look. Maybe you can find another three things, let's hope. That's the reason for that step five is just to ensure that there's a, a stepping off point to, to move forward. Hmm. So, so that's it, the one-page business plan. Hmm. Well, there we go. So people can get get a hold of that on your website and see if they've got an idea that might be viable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think that that's often the thing. You get so distracted by every sort of input. I everywhere I go on social media, I see someone selling me this business solution or um, this marketing plan or this template or this drop shipping service, and you can just keep getting distracted by going from one thing to another thing and actually end up doing nothing. Correct. Yeah, happens all the time. Mm. So on that point, what are some of your best tips and ideas for turning an idea into reality and actually getting started and getting off the ground? Well, I mean, getting started is pretty important. I think yep. sometimes maybe people, the struggle with getting started is around not being convinced that they have the perfect idea. Mm. I, I see in some side hustle forums, particularly that I, that I follow, that very often people will post just tell me what idea should I do? I'm looking, well, no one can tell you that because it depends on your skill set. It depends where you are, depends on your interests. But I think holding off until the perfect idea somehow falls out of the sky is is not the right way to go. So mm. find something that, oh, this is interesting and I'd be a bit curious on that and give it a go. And as we touched on before, do it as a side hustle, do it as that low risk experiment Find, figure out a way that you can do it on, on one of the online platforms or you can perhaps have a, a stall somewhere or, or you can find a, a connection somehow or other, a family or friend maybe that you can provide the service for. Find a way to just test it out, 
see if you like it, and most importantly, learn. And then you might have an initial idea, right, I'm going to offer services doing X, Y, Z, but you, you get it out there and you find that, oh, actually, what people are really interested in is this little bit here, beauty. And then you move forward with that idea, right? The first idea doesn't have to be the final idea. So don't be afraid to make a start, even if you're not totally clear or feel that this particular idea that you're starting with is something that you necessarily want to do for the next 40 years. It doesn't have to be. Just make a start, have a go, and be observant and learn. And I guess it's like getting that minimum viable product out as soon as possible or service to see if people are actually willing to pay for it before you sink money in and get all the business sort of marketing and social media and branding and legals done. Exactly right. Yep, that's exactly right, Kate. And if someone's interested in pursuing the path of maybe a side hustle or self-employment or starting a business, what are some of the best resources that they should check out first? Okay. Well, a good friend of mine, Nick Loper, has the so, uh, Side Hustle Show, his podcast. Uh, so I'd, I'd give that one a shout out. Books-wise, you touched on Minimum Viable Product there. So that's out of the Lean Startup book. Now, that that book's kind of written for Silicon Valley and assuming that you've got venture capitalists that have just given you thousands of dollars, which is not the reality for most of us. So skim skim that one, but there is some good information in Lean Startup. Uh, There's a book called Company of One that has got some interesting thoughts. E-Myth, probably... You probably don't want to start with e-myth. I I like the idea of just-in-time learning. And so when you're just starting out, e-myth is really around uh, how to get processes into your business, repeatable processes, so that, uh, for one, you can step away from the business at some point, but two, that that the business is scalable and that the services are are of a consistent quality. So Emith has got some real good, clear thinking around that. And so that's probably one that once you're off and running a little bit, you might want to dive into. I mean, look, we have we have an, an online course called Entrepreneur U. So if people go to the Financial Autonomy website, they could find out about that. That one might well be useful. I don't know. That probably gives people a few ideas, Kate. <laughs> we don't want to overwhelm them with too many resources that they won't get started. Spot on. <laughs> and the final resource, um, which is very exciting, is your book, Financial Autonomy, that's coming out very soon and is already out on some platforms. That's right. Yeah, thanks, Kate. Yeah, and, and once again, thanks for uh, for having a look at the pre-release version and, and giving us a testimonial. So, yeah, Financial Autonomy, the money book that gives you choice. It's been great fun to put together and uh, really excited to have it out there. So, yeah, if any of your listeners want to want to grab a copy, it is available on, on all the normal platforms and in bookshops and that sort of thing. But if, uh, if you'd like to get a hard copy and you want to order it online, you can order it direct from us, which we'd be, be very grateful for. Uh, and if you do that, uh, we'll cover the cost of postage. So it's free postage if you, if you buy it direct. And you can do that by going to financialautonomy.com.au slash book. So financialautonomy.com.au slash book and uh, and we can get a copy out to you and you can check it out and let me know what you think. Mm, and I think now's the perfect time to read a book and uh, have some get some new ideas rolling, um, especially in Melbourne. We're uh, stuck inside for a while, so um, I'm definitely pouring through a few books at the moment. Yeah, it is a good time to do a bit of reading, isn't it? And also, I don't know about you, but it sort of feels... Because it's it's shaking you out of your normal routine, it's not a bad time for just a bit of a reset on mm-hmm. what am I doing here and what am I working towards and where do I want to be and you know, I mean as much as there's a bit of a sense of our twenty twenties a write off, maybe it's also just a bit of a bit of a reset year for when mm-hmm. things get back to normal. Anyway. Yeah, and 
and it's a good time to sort of put some ideas into place maybe for the next couple of years. You might not be in the right spot to start a business or become self-employed right now, but it might be something that you want to add into your sort of longer term plan in the next five or 10 years. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Paul. It was great to have you again and sharing your experiences and um, knowledge about starting a business as well. Oh, well, look, thanks again, Kate. Really appreciate you having me on. Wonderful. Well, I hope you and the uh, Financial Autonomy book go on to many great successes as well. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Let's hope so. Yes. Oh, well, it's a a good year to put out a book, I guess, because people got time to read. That's that's the hope. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us, Paul. Beauty. See you, Kate. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money podcast.